Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. All right, everyone. We're going to look into the scriptures a little bit together here. Then we're leaving plenty of time. Sorry, we got to cut it short a little bit so that we have time for communion at the end. And then Kelly Glass is going to come up at the end and invite people to get some prophetic ministry. So have your Bibles handy. Typically, at this time, we walk through a passage of Scripture, usually a chapter at a time, line by line. We've been in Acts for some time, for really over a year, getting that message into the bloodstream of the church. I can't think of a better book of the Bible to be in while all these things are going on, but we typically are looking in a passage of scripture, looking at it in its original context, its historical context, and then gleaning from it a message for today. And this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. We'll still be looking into the scriptures, but in a more kind of thematic way. Everyone knows that we've been hearing over the past couple months reports of the work of the Holy Spirit moving at Asbury University and other places. And I've been hearing from people from across the country over the last few months. And I've been talking with Steve Nicholson, who's in the UK, who's in England and other places for three or four months. And people are reporting what may be the beginning of a larger move of God. So it's not just in Asbury, not just in certain regions, it's in the United States, it's in England, other places in the UK and across the Western world, praise the Lord. And this is what we're gonna focus on. We've got our context, the Western world, and what may be something that God is stirring that we haven't seen in a couple decades. And we know, I just want to say this up front, we know that God has moved and is moving powerfully in other places outside of the Western world. And just to give you a little glimpse of that, over the last 120 years, just listen to what God has done in Asia. So 1900, there were approximately 22 million Christians in Asia. And now there's over 407 million Christians in Asia. That's almost 19% expansion within a little over 100 years. In Africa, catch this, 1900, there were 9.6 million Christians in Africa. Today, there's over 718 million Christians in Africa. That's a 75% increase. Lastly here, in Latin America, there were 62 million Christians in 1900. 
and there's 612 million Christians in Latin America. So the truth is the West has got some catch up to do. And so, but we're looking at, I just want to say the Lord is moving all over the world. We're living in a time period where the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 14 are being fulfilled, that the gospel of the kingdom would go to all peoples on the planet. And so we're just looking a little bit into what Jesus is doing in the Western world. And so I want us to focus for a few minutes here on being the church in times of visitation. I'm going to explain what that phrase means here in a minute. Visitation means that the Lord visits individuals, groups, churches, cities, nations with his mighty, glorious presence. There's about nine times in scripture where it speaks of the Lord visiting his people, visiting nations to accomplish his purposes. And there is other related to term, other related terms uh, synonymous to this. We've already used some outpouring of the Holy Spirit, revival, awakening. But I like the word visitation or the Lord visiting because it keeps the focus on him. Revival is the fruit of him visiting. And so we're gonna look at the Lord visiting his people. And we're going to long for it and pray for it even more in the coming days. What I want us to look at briefly here is when the Lord visits, there are different responses and different effects. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. Again, the Lord visiting, keeping it centered on him. Not necessarily what happens when he comes, but on him. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Verse 29. For indeed our God is a consuming fire. So when fire shows up, it affects things in different ways, doesn't it? Sometimes purifying, sometimes incinerating. And so what we're gonna see is that when the Lord visits, there's at least a twofold dynamic that happens. One is purification and blessing for some and a devastating judgment for others. And we know that Jesus talked about this, didn't he? In Luke 12, Jesus said that he came to bring fire to the earth and that that fire, the fire of his presence, the presence of the kingdom, his teaching, his life, his message, his death, his resurrection, that would bring a division between those who accept him and those who don't. I wanted to give a little historical example of this. This week I've been looking at a revival in a place called Shandong, China. From 1927 to 1937, they had a 10 year, they had a decade of visitation. The Lord visiting their country. China was in absolute turmoil. And the church, the small church presence that was there was cold, and apathetic and shrinking 
1927. Missionaries were resigning and leaving China because it was so disheartening. Opium use, even in the church, alcoholism, prostitution was rampant. And there was a nationalist revolution that happened. So there was political upheaval in 1927 in China. And because of that, there was major persecution against the believers there. There were strong influences of liberalism, even on the church in China there. And so faith was weakening. The view of the Bible was weakening. And in the midst of this, in 1927, a small movement began to happen. People praying and reading the Bible together in small groups. And there was a young 23-year-old single woman from Norway. And her name was Marie Monson. She was soft-spoken. She was Lutheran. And she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord led her in her little, the Shandong province, to ask people around her, to ask her neighbors, are you born again? Simple question. Are you born again? And it led her to have conversations with people. Most of them were not Christian. And she began to lead people to Jesus through that simple question from John 3, are you born again? And then when she encountered Christians, she would say, if you're born again, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been born of the Spirit? And through this 23-year-old young lady, soft-spoken, a revival began to spread in the Shandong province that spread like wildfire. And countless thousands were converted. So much so that some of you, who's read Brother Yoon's book, The Heavenly Man? He's spoken here before. If you've not read that book, write it down, get it. Brother Yoon, The Heavenly Man. And so he's living a couple of generations, a generation and a half after this revival happens. And he says that this woman is actually the mother, the matriarch of the house church movement in China. And I did some reading this week and I listened to pastors and leaders who are pastoring now in the wake of that revival a hundred years ago. And many of these pastors were saying they were having baptisms every Sunday and baptizing 500 new believers every Sunday they come together. Can you imagine that? It all started with a young, soft-spoken woman desperate for God. And apparently she had a vision one day. She was looking at a mountain and saw the rain falling on the mountain. And then she saw the river pouring and cascading down below into the cities. And the Lord told her that it all begins with a few raindrops. And so she began to pray into that and do what the Lord called her to do in a very simple way. And now missiologists, those who study missions in China are saying, friends, that there's around 30,000 Chinese people becoming Christians each day. And so there is a massive move of the kingdom of God, a visitation of the Holy Spirit in China. Is that glorious? So we hear stories like that, we look at them so that it builds faith in the most unlikely place 
where there's great resistance to Jesus and the gospel, the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to move in that place. And before it's over, the majority of people will know my name and call on my name. It's glorious. And then they'll send missionaries to the Western world, which is precisely what's happening. So we listen to those things to build faith. I've also, in recent months, been looking in view of what's happening, and I know many of you have as well. I've been researching and praying and listening to some other voices, and I'm convinced that the Lord is visiting our country. Can you see that? The Lord is visiting our country, and so I want us to have kind of a paradigm, a lens through which to view that. And friends, we've got to be careful when we talk about this. When the Lord visits, he is a consuming fire, and it's going to affect people differently, depending on their heart condition, depending on their response to him. For those who resist him and submit to his lordship, his very presence will be experienced as judgment and discipline. And friends, I look at our country and I do believe if the Lord is visiting in a way that he hasn't in some time, there's discipline for our country. Would you agree? It doesn't take much discernment. Open your eyes and look around. You can see the shaking happening in our country. And people better get right with God. Because as the consuming fire visits, that's what happens. Things get shaken to the core. For those who seek the Lord, and here the Lord is visiting, the Lord is coming, he's pouring out his spirit, I want to give my life to him, I want to surrender to him fully, I submit to his lordship, Jesus is Lord, his presence will bring refinement, purification, and blessing. So do you see that twofold thing that happens when the Lord shows up? It brings both of those things. Do you agree? Now that might be difficult for some of us to hear, but they spoke about that in the Shandong revival as well. It shook the province to the core. It affected many things and it brought purification and refinement and blessing, but it shook the nation, continues to shake the nation. So if the Lord is a consuming fire, a fire of holiness and love, for some reason we tend to pull those things apart and we hear people talk about the Lord visits in love and love only and he's kind and generous and gracious and they leave out the fact yes that is all true but the other side of the same coin friends is that God is holy and that we don't take him lightly it doesn't mean an unhealthy fear but it's a healthy holy pure fear of the Lord who is a consuming fire. You hear me on that? And we need to meditate on that reality. The Lord is a consuming fire. He's pure holiness and he's pure love at the same time. He's a great mystery. He is holy love. And the Lord loves the sin out of our hearts. And his perfect love, when he visits, he drives out unhealthy fear and replaces it with holy, clean, biblical fear and reverence of God. Would you agree? So I want us with these things in mind to look at three things regarding 
being the church in times of visitation, the first we start with this is that we pray fast and long for times of visitation. Are you in that place? An increasing hunger and appetite, prayer, fasting, longing for the Lord to visit. Scripture is filled with this, right? One that I often think of is in Psalm 63. Let's look at it. We see here in Psalm 63, David is in a desperate place. He's in the wilderness. He's fleeing from Saul. He's running for his life. And yet this is what gets squeezed out of his heart in a time of pressure. Psalm 63, 1 to 3. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So we catch a glimpse of David's whole being yearning for God. It's beautiful, isn't it? His soul is thirsty. His very body, his flesh is longing for God. He's like someone in a dry spiritual desert where water can't be found. And it's only when David gets into God's presence, into the sanctuary, where he's looking upon God's power and glory through prayer, that he finds satisfaction and rest. So friends, I want to invite us into a place of holy hunger and desperation. And I'm preaching to myself today, preaching to my own heart. Heart, awaken to holy hunger and desperation for God. Are you hungry? Are you desperate for God? Are we satisfied with where we are individually and as a local church, or do we want more of God? Do we want to long for God like David is speaking about here? I'm just going to read this text, but this deals with prayer and fasting. Luke 5.35, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and they're bringing some of their difficult questions to him like they do. They harass him regularly, and they come, and they say, why is it, Jesus, that your disciples don't fast like we do and like John the Baptist and his disciples do? And Jesus tells them through kind of a word picture here, he says that while he is with them as the bridegroom with his beloved people, they don't fast. They celebrate with joy. But look at verse 35. He says, the days will come, Jesus says, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So there's many reasons to fast and pray in Scripture. We can see it. Jonah speaks of fasting as an act of repentance. Isaiah 58 talks about the chosen fast, where people fast, break the bonds of a yoke, share their food and drink with the hungry. Lots of fasting, but in this particular expression of fasting, it's because people are longing for the bridegroom Jesus, for him to return. I'm just inviting us today into a place of holy desperation for God. It's a work of the Spirit that he has to bring. While I was looking at this very thing, Amanda came over with her phone a few days ago and 
She said, look at what is going on with the youth. It was Wednesday night. Our youth was worshiping with the Bridgeway Youth Group, and these students are nuts. They are so hungry for God. Some of our students, I think they had multiple breaks on Wednesday night. People were leaving at different times, but some of them stuck around and worshiped. I think it started at 6.30 and went for some until 11 o'clock. Just watching these young people. I don't know how they walked the next day because I remember those moments of dancing like that and I couldn't walk for a week. But they can't get enough of God. So through worship, like David talks about, longing, thirsting, yearning to look upon God through prayer and worship, through the reading of scripture, they cannot get enough. And so I hope that that spreads through Bridgeway Church, through this church, through other churches in the region. We want the Lord to visit, to pour out his spirit, to revive the church, and eventually to bring in lost people because that's the aim of revival, isn't it? A second thing here I want us to look at, as these things are stirring in our country, stirring across the planet, I want to invite us to view visitation and revival through the lens of the kingdom of God. I want us to have a kingdom paradigm or a kingdom model. Why is this? We talk about it regularly here that this was the centerpiece of Jesus' life and ministry and his message, wasn't it? He shows up on the scene in Mark 1, and he starts by saying the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And then he begins to demonstrate it with healing and with delivering people from demons and demonic oppression. And we learn as we read the Gospels that Jesus himself embodies the kingdom of God. So when he shows up, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, the rule and reign of God, look at Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom in the flesh. He is the king, his words, his actions. And so I want us to see every move of God through the lens of the kingdom with Jesus right at the center of it. Some of you were here when Derek Morphew came several weeks ago, and he said that every revival in the history of the church is a fresh inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we long for. We long for the kingdom of God to manifest. And then we keep in mind that tension. And I think this is really helpful, especially in moments of visitation and revival. That tension of the kingdom of God, it's already, and what's the second part? It's not yet. The kingdom of God is already present among us. It was initiated like never before with the presence of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and yet we're waiting for it to be fully realized. And so when visitation happens, we've got to keep this in mind, don't we? The kingdom is already here. It's already breaking in. We're seeing another inbreaking of the presence of King Jesus wreaking havoc on the kingdom of darkness. Yet at the same time, it's not fully consummated. And so friends, right in the middle of this visitation and revival discussion, I want us to think about the already and the not yet. Friends, people will continue to suffer. 
it's not like visitation or revival happens and our suffering is taken away. That's not the way it works. Amen? The kingdom is here already and not yet. His glorious presence comes. But friends, we suffer. Those brothers and sisters in China in the Shantung revival, their suffering and opposition did not evaporate. It didn't go away. The presence of God came, gave them new power, revived the church so that they could endure suffering. So that they could witness to everyone around them of the power, the life-changing power of Jesus. And then they could be stronger. What if, friends, the Lord is reviving and moving in the American church to prepare us for what we're going to face in the coming days? seems to be the pattern throughout church history and I mean we're kind of an exception on the world scene right now we have freedom freedom to worship these kinds of things but friends that could go away the scriptures do not promise religious freedom for us or anyone else so what if we view the visitation the outpouring to charge our batteries to fill us with power to fill us with vigor so that like the book of Acts, we would consider it a joy and a blessing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Amen? And as your pastor, I've got to show this in scripture. And friends, I'm not looking to suffer. Anyone in here, if you want suffering, you need to get your head checked. Bring it, I wanna suffer. Human nature says, no, I don't want to suffer. But we are kingdom people. And the man that we follow suffered greatly. And he knew it. He knew that he would suffer. And he went to Jerusalem and he faced it for the joy that was set before him. Listen to what Peter says. Look at this, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Again, viewing Christian life, revival, visitation through the lens of the kingdom. And this is a kingdom perspective. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Some of you can turn there if you've got your Bible. And I invite us to use our Bibles, not just rely on the screen, the slides up here. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. And the Apostle Peter lived this. Listen to what he says to the church, probably the church at Rome. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Look at verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. The spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. So friends, according to this passage, and many others throughout scripture, we're not to be surprised. Even in the midst of revival, visitation, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christians suffer. And the Lord gives us, he equips us with what we don't have so that we can endure and thrive and actually be filled with joy. I look at texts like this and I tremble. Anybody else? Because I'm like, Lord, you've got to bring the joy You've got to bring the spirit of glory because 
I don't want to suffer. I don't want to face opposition, but you are filled with love and power and grace to bring us through. Amen? One other thing related to this. A kingdom lens helps us test the fruit of what's happening. And friends, I want you to hear this. If we end up seeing a serious revival, a serious move of the Holy Spirit, we have to test it. You've got to look at it and observe, eyes wide open, with the gift of discernment to see the fruit of what's happening. Because there will be some wildfire. There will be people that get off track and focus on things that they shouldn't be. 1 John 4, 1 to 12 talks about how to test the movement of the Holy Spirit. And it talks about greater love for Jesus, greater love for the truth. Does what is happening oppose Satan's interest? Does it point people to the scriptures, to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles? So friends, I want us to I want to invite you into testing and evaluating and assessing the move of the Holy Spirit among us. Amen? A last thing here. We look expectantly and we continue to work diligently. Let that sink in for a moment. We look expectantly for God to move and at the same time we continue to work diligently. This is not either or but it's both and. And oftentimes, people, when revival or visitation or these things happen, they drop everything. And they stop doing the ordinary because the extraordinary has come. And friends, it's both. We want the extraordinary. We want to look expectantly for God to move. We want to pray and fast and long for God to pour out his spirit in new ways, to break through, to set people free, to save lost people, to transform his church, wake up the bride. We want all of these things. And I liken it to rain. When the rain comes and we're working in the field, we don't drop all our tools and just dance in the rain. That is not the way to experience revival. Drop everything, dance in the rain, and forget work and forget diligence and all of that. Friends, we continue to farm. We continue to use the tools that God gives us while he sends his rain. And we irrigate like some of these workers up here. Imagine if his rain comes, his presence, his power, his glory, his truth, and we're diligently working. What do I mean by that? We're making disciples. We're sharing our faith with other people. We're mentoring. We're raising up and training new leaders. While this is happening, we're irrigating the Lord's reviving presence. Amen? So it's not either or. It's both and. We saw Jesus do this in his life, didn't we? We saw him. He was the greatest revivalist in history. He saw the greatest breakthrough of the kingdom of God, and yet right in the midst of it, he continued to use the tools that the Father had given him. He would retreat and pray and spend time with the Father in the desert to get replenished. He trained his disciples, the three, 
the 12, the 70. He mentored them while all of this was happening. And so he models for us continuing to disciple, train, and mobilize others. And friends, what's beautiful about this, when the Lord moves in power, he can accomplish in a few moments what might take us years of laboring. You hear me on that? And we want that. We want him to show up and revive and save and transform. In the meantime, we do our part. We continue to use the tools. We continue to spend daily time in scripture, maybe even more as the Lord is moving in power. And friends, our mission at the church, Liam said it this morning, we are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And so those four things come to life even more during times of visitation and revival. We lean into being a community. We lean into relationships, being together, spending time together. We lean into worship, worshiping together. And this is happening, hearing about it all across the church, worshiping together on Sunday, worshiping with youth and young adults, worshiping in one another's homes. It's beautiful. We lean into formation. The fact that the Lord Jesus wants his character formed in each of us in practical ways and in mission. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the servers to come up. And right in the middle of discussion about visitation and revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we want to practice Holy Communion. As we were singing this morning, the body and blood of Christ is the reason that we have the church and that we have the movement of the Holy Spirit because of his presence, his life, his death, his resurrection. So as they're preparing here, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your death, your resurrection, your shed blood. And we pray that in the midst of all that we're talking about and experiencing, we would encounter you, we would focus on you as the crucified and resurrected healer. We come for healing afresh today. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to come up, and I think, do we have our gluten-free? Who's got the Rutlingers here have gluten-free, so if you want that, you can request it, and let's be in the Lord's presence together, and then again, I'll have Kelly come up here in a few minutes.